Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our good friends at MyBookie. Today and through the rest of the college football season, you guys can go to mybookie.ag, sign up for a brand new account, and use the promo code UGA when you do so, and they will double your first deposit. No, I am not speaking in riddles. They are going to give you twice the amount of money that you deposit. You can't beat that deal, guys. You absolutely cannot beat that deal. So make sure you sign up today and bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. I am your host Tyler and today I will be taking a deep dive into Georgia's week six matchup against the Auburn Tigers. But first, I know I do this every now and then guys, but please just humor me for just a moment as I just take a minute here to give all of you a giant collective thank you from all of us here at the Glory UGA podcast. I told you guys earlier in the season The week following our week one victory over Oregon was the biggest single week in glory UGA history. And when I saw those numbers, I was like, man, this might set up September to be the biggest month in this podcast's history. And that's exactly what just happened, guys. And it happened by a pretty wide margin. I kept waiting for things to slow down a little bit, kind of like fall back to our, our, our normal numbers, but that never happen, at least not through in the month of September. We'll see what happens in October, November, December, but it was a huge month for us guys, and that does not happen without all of you. It simply doesn't. Without you guys, all you longtime listeners that have supported us over all the years, without you newer listeners giving us a shot and then liking what you hear and sticking around, without you guys telling your friends and family about the show, without you spreading the word on social media, none of it happens without you, and we are acutely aware of that fact. We know that we are not the biggest podcast in the world. We know exactly who we are and what we are, and we are very comfortable with that. But for us, who we are in the grand ecosystem of Georgia sports coverage, it was a huge month, and it means a lot. It does, guys. It means a lot to us to see all the hard work that we put into this thing pay off like that. So again, thank you. All of us here on the podcast are just so sincerely grateful for all of your support, and we are beyond excited to keep this thing rolling on and on and on into the future. So thank you for that, guys. But now let's get into the Auburn Tigers. You long-time listeners, you know the drill by now. But for our newer listeners, 
I use a countdown format to preview each of our games. At least that's what I call it. And what I mean by countdown format is I'm just going to count down five, four, three, two, one. And each step along the way, I'm going to give you a different aspect of the game and dive into something different about this game. So we'll start with five players to know. We'll go to four stats that matter, three matchups to watch, two game plans, and we'll wrap things up with one key to the game so that's how this thing's gonna go and let's go ahead let's uh, let's kick it off man and let's start the top here with five players to know normally when I do these episodes at the top of my list is the opposing quarterback and it's not necessarily because the opposing quarterback is the best player on the team sometimes it's the case sometimes it's not when you're playing Alabama yeah you start with Bryce Young but I mean even last week with Missouri I start with Brady Cook, not the best player on the team, but it's the most important position on the team, and you've got to usually start there. But I'm going to make an exception this week. I'm actually going to start with Auburn's running back, at least their starting running back, Tank Bigsby, Cartavius Tank Bigsby. Here from the state of Georgia, LaGrange, Callaway High School, same school that Terry Godwin went to, if I remember correctly. And he is, um, he really is kind of the engine to this offense. At least he should be. He's the best player on the offense. He's by far the single best player that they have on this Auburn offense. And they want to run the football. That's why I'm starting with him. Like, he's the best player on the offense. They want to feed him the ball. So l- let's start there. But the numbers this year aren't overwhelming. They're fine. They're just not really commiserate with the level of talent that Bigsby brings to the table. Right now, he's got 326 yards rushing through five games. He has been fully healthy. He's on an injury situation. That comes out to 4.9 yards per carry, four touchdowns. He's got 13 catches for 87 yards. So he's been good. The numbers have been good, but they haven't been what you'd expect from a guy with that type of talent level. doesn't scream big-time player. But if you've watched Tank Bigsby throughout his career, you know that he is a big-time talent. There's a 100% fact in that statement. He's a big-time player. The problem for him this year, the reason the numbers don't really correspond with the talent level right now, it's really twofold. Number one, teams don't respect the pass game. It's that simple. Teams do not respect the pass game. They didn't really respect it when TJ Finley was the starting quarterback, and they sure as hell don't really respect it now that Robbie Ashford is the guy going to his third start of the season. So that's number one. And then number two, the offensive line is not very good. So they're seeing a lot of stacked boxes, heavy personnel, and the offensive line is not good enough to really counteract that. Right now, they're on their third center of the season. They've had to move guys around at different points on the offensive line. And and to give you an idea of just how bad the line has been, this is a crazy number. I hope I'm not butchering this. So the stat I saw this week was that Tank Bigsby had 62 yards after contact last week against LSU. Well, the dude only rushed for 45 yards. So you do the math there. Yes, that means that he was getting hit consistently at or behind the line of scrimmage and having to fight like hell to make anything out of it, to get a one or two yard gain. So it's been tough going for for Bigsby, but it's not really about him. It's about the offensive line. It's about the lack of respect for their pass game. And trust me, guys, they want to get this guy going, and they are going to feed him. He is the best player on the entire offense, especially without Jalen Carter in the lineup. They are going to feed this guy. And in fact, I'm sure most of you saw this. I, I Honestly, I thought this was fake. I thought there was no way that they could, this could possibly be real when I first saw this today. But sure enough, I look into a little bit more, and yeah, 
Like the impossible is possible. This is actually a real thing. These are actually real quotes coming from Auburn's starting center, Brandon Council. He was, a, he was a guard at first. They had two injuries at center. They moved him to center now. And he just went flat out batshit crazy, guys. I mean, I, I know this is a family show, but I cannot say it any other way. And that's about the nicest thing I can say. The dude just went batshit crazy at a press conference. It's either that or he's just the dumbest football player to ever live. And let me read a couple of these quotes to you guys in case you haven't seen this. So the first one here, quote, if you start off fast, run the ball on them, talking about Georgia, and keep them out of their third down packages, really, we could demolish them, I believe personally, up front. Then he goes on to say, right now, they don't have that much depth due to the injuries in the interior defensive line. The guys that do come out, I don't think they trust them. If we keep them out of third down where they can't bring packages and they have to keep their main guys on the field, we're just going to run the ball on them all day because they're going to get tired. And just when you think he's done, oh no, not done. Brandon Council goes on to say, quote, we have the chance to go out there and do something that hasn't been done in a long time. That's beat Georgia at Georgia. That would be a big thing. Our goal is to go in there like a SWAT team in and out and quiet the noise and beat their behinds and get out. And dude, come on. If you're going to be this bold in these declarations in front of media members that are obviously going to broadcast this, why are you saying beat their behinds? Just say what you mean. You're clearly not worried about what anyone thinks. Just go ahead and say it. We're going to beat their ass. Beat their behinds. Get out of here with that. So one of the dumbest things that I have ever heard come out of the mouth of a football player. I mean, what level of intelligence do you have to have? Not only say that, like saying in the heat of the moment, that's one thing. Like when you're really emotional and you're fired up, like that's still dumb, but like you kind of somewhat get that. But this is cold, calm, calculated. This is at a previously scheduled press conference in front of the assembled media and he has not not one zinger not two zingers but three different quotes where he's calling out the Georgia defense in different ways and they're going to demolish us and come out like SWAT team and quiet the place like wow okay you can call it confidence if you want I call it sheer stupidity and that right there in a nutshell is case in point why Brian Harson's going to get fired. It's not just about the wins and losses. Sure, that's the ultimate report card, but these are symptoms of why they are at this point with their program. When you have such little control over your program that you have one of your starters go out there in a press conference and just rattle off all these quotes that clearly we're going to use, can you imagine a Georgia football player being that idiotic, having the gall to go up there and do that in front of the media, like, man, like, that, that is why Brian Harson's getting fired. Yes, it's wins and losses, I get that, but it's these things that add up that lead to those losses that will ultimately get this guy fired. But back to my original point, I, I said all that, I read you all those quotes to give you an idea that, yes, as I said, they want to feed this guy. They want to run the football, especially with no Jalen Carter. They think without Jalen Carter, they're going to be able to go in there with that offensive line, which, I mean, I don't know what fantasy world they live in, but it's the world they live in. They think they're going to be able to run the football and run it at will and quote-unquote demolish us, right? So that's what they're going to try to do, and Tank Bigsby is going to lead that effort. And the second player to note on this Auburn football team, let's get to the quarterback now. Usually I start the quarterbacks. Let's go there now. Is Robbie Ashford transferred in from Oregon. Is actually from the Birmingham area originally. We recruited him a couple years back. Went to Oregon. Didn't really work out for him there. He transfers back home. Now he's starting quarterback for Auburn. He was not the starter to open the season. It was TJ Finley. TJ Finley goes down with injury. Robbie Ashford has now taken over and he's getting better with each game. 
I will certainly give him that, but he is a long way away from being where he needs to be. Now, saying that, I, I will I will throw this in there. I think Tank Bigsby is one of the, actually, in terms of pure running backs, one of the best in the SEC, one of the best in the country, honestly. I'm very high on him. I think he's a great talent. But Ashford right now might actually be the bigger threat in the run game because of how he's able to create and kind of improvise on the fly and scramble around and make plays with his legs because he is a dynamic, explosive athlete. I mean, he's a big dude, 6'3", about 215, 220, and he is fast as hell, twitchy, runs with power. He's just got that explosive body. I mean, he's about as big of a threat as there is in the country with his legs. Problem for him right now, for this offense in general, is that he's still not ready to beat you from the pocket. He's nowhere close to ready to beat you from the pocket. This is going to be his third start. And again, he has improved every time he's gone out there. He actually threw for over 300 against LSU. But when you look at the context there, I know if you look at the box score, you're like, well, man, like that, that's a big game. He threw for over 300. Like maybe he's actually like figured something out. Well, yeah, he's getting better. I, I will hand him that. But if you really watch that game, every single big play they had, every single big passing play they had in the game were off scrambles. When he was able to escape the pocket, the defense had to account for his legs because you you know they heard all week long, if he breaks the pocket, you know, watch him to run, watch him running, watch him running, watch him running. He's going to try to make play with his legs. And they would trigger against him when he when he escaped the pocket, like the entire defense, not one guy that's responsible for him, the entire defense. And they would leave guys running wide open back there in the secondary and give Asher credit, kept his eyes downfield and was able to hit those guys and make some plays. And there's certainly value in that. You don't take those yards away. Those yards happen. But what I'm saying is I don't necessarily think that's sustainable, especially when you play a team like Georgia, who has faced many quarterbacks like that, like, oh, I don't know, the last Auburn quarterback, Bo Nix, and have a really good feel and understanding for how to contain those guys. Now, sometimes I know that's easier said than done, but if you can contain them in the pocket and force them to sit there and beat you with his arm, I'm just telling you guys, it's not going to happen. In fact, it's going to be ugly. He's highly inaccurate. He struggles to go through reads. He struggles to diagnose coverages. He'll put the ball in harm's way. You just got to keep him in the pocket. If you, get, if, you let, if you let him escape the pocket, that's where he becomes a threat. That's where he becomes dangerous. So that's going to, we'll, we'll get to this a little bit later on, but that's going to be a primary focus for us in this game. But he's a dynamic athlete, has the ability to hurt you with his legs, and those legs and also hurt you in the passing game if you get your eyes looking in the backfield. And then finally, the last player on the offense here before we get to a couple of defensive players is wide receiver Javarius Johnson. I really had a hard time, guys, trying to find that fifth player that I thought really deserved to be on this five players to know list. I went with Javarius Johnson because he is their leading receiver, but this is like being the, the cutest pig. It might be the cutest pig, but it's still a pig. And that's kind of what I see with Javarius Johnson here in this Auburn wide receiver core. I mean, Javarius Johnson might be the best Auburn wide receiver, but he's still an Auburn wide receiver. And I think this is the worst receiving core in the entire SEC. But he is the best of the bunch. He got 16 catches for 305 yards right now, averaging almost 20 yards to catch. Has been the recipient of a couple of those big plays. He had a big play from Ashford on one of those plays. He escaped with his legs and, and made a play down the field. Um, but he doesn't really consistently create separation on his own. He's kind of relied on the scramble drill and Ashford escaping the pocket. He's a smaller guy, you know, 5'10", 160. You know, years ago, that would have been a problem. That guy probably would never played in the SEC. But now how football has changed, you want to get speedy, shifty guys in space and let them just operate. Well, he kind of fits that bill, but he's not really a dynamic receiver. Again, he doesn't really create consistent separation on his own. He has to rely on kind of the scramble drill and Asher kind of drawing attention. He can kind of 
find his way into a void and, and present a target. But he's not he's just not a dynamic receiver, but he is the best receiver of the bunch. We'll go with him as our third player to know. Moving over to the defense side of the ball here for a few minutes. Let's start with Derek Hall on defense. You gotta start with Derek Hall on defense. He has 16 and a half sacks in his career at Auburn, including four so far this year. He is their best edge player um, by a mile, at least his their best healthy edge player. Eco Leota was also a really good edge player as well, but he uh, tore his peck last week and he's out for the rest of the season. And the thing is with Derek Hall, yeah, he's really good. He is a good edge rusher, but there's just not a ton behind him now with Leota going out for the year. Now, if you watch Hall play, he is a, he's a little stiff. He kind of reminds me of Britton Cox in that regard. Now, he's bigger and stronger than Cox, but I think both those guys have a little stiffness in their hips, but they both have really good first steps and first step quickness. And, uh, you know, Derek Hall being a bigger guy, he is really strong, really physical at the point of attack, but he has trouble winning those pass rush reps if he doesn't either win off the snap with that quick first step, or if he can't just bull rush you into the quarterback. If you have a, a tackle kind of hold up on his own there against a bull rush and doesn't get off balance, off kilter, he has a tough time finding ways to counter and win that. But he is definitely the best pass rusher. We are going to have to account for him at every point because he's a guy and he's very aggressive kind of like Britton Cox you know Britton Cox he's not as undisciplined as Britton Cox Britton Cox might be the most selfish undisciplined player I've ever seen play football and maybe that's a little bit of hyperbole but he's he's certainly up there Derek Hall's more disciplined than that but he will sell out at times rushing the passer and you can kind of like run right under him you run screens in his direction but we got to be aware of him because he can be a guy that can certainly wreck your game plan if you don't account for him and then the last player to know on my list here is linebacker Owen Papo. Certainly not the career that he has wanted. He has not had that to this point. And you have to wonder if and maybe how much he regrets that decision to not go to Georgia. If you guys aren't familiar with Owen Papo, he played at Grayson High School. We did recruit him heavily. He was the same class as Nicobe Dean was. We ended up taking Nicobe out of Mississippi. And we would have taken Papo as well, but he ends up going to Auburn. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. Obviously, it worked out really, really well for us. Really, really well for N'Kobe Dean. Maybe not so much for Owen Papo. Um, that sucks for him. But he had to make that decision for himself. Uh, he's healthy now. I will say, you know, part of his issue throughout his career at this point, he's had a really hard time staying healthy. But he is healthy now, which is good for him. You don't want to see anybody be injured. So that's that's good. But he's still just not an instinctive inside linebacker. He's just not. And that's one of the things I said about him coming out of high school. I always liked Nakobe Dean better than Papo because Nakobe was like a true inside linebacker. Papo played inside at times, played on the edges at times, played in space on like a star position at times in high school at Grayson. He just never really struck me as that as that dude inside linebacker. And it's kind of played out that way. He's just not an instinctive guy. He doesn't have that feel at that position. And as an old inside linebacker myself, an old linebacker coach, I'm just telling you guys, feel is really, really important at that position. And he just doesn't seem to have it. He's a really good athlete. Not as good of an athlete as I think people made him out to become out of high school, but he's still a really good athlete. But he, he also lacks physicality. Like he just isn't a physical guy. He was in high school and he's not now at Auburn. He has trouble getting off blocks. He gets caught in traffic a lot. He's really poor eye discipline. He's a step slow in his reads. And, and so these are things I'm talking about when I say that he's just not an instinctive linebacker. He doesn't do things naturally that inside li- good inside linebackers have to do. He does make up for a lot of that with that athleticism, but he just has never grown into that kind of inside linebacker. But you still have to know where he is because he's a guy that's going to be out there on a lot of snaps for them, really good athlete, and uh, he can fly around the field and make some plays. you got to certainly be aware of where Papo is on every play, just like you do with Derek Hall. 
And we are just getting started, guys. We've got a ton more to break down here with this Georgia-Auburn matchup, the latest edition of the Deep South's oldest rivalry. But before we go any further, I've got to remind you guys about my bookie. Charlie and I are giving you guys winners each and every week. We're making your money hand over fist. And look, you guys don't even really need our advice. You guys know football. Put your own football knowledge to the test and make some money while you're at it with my bookie. All you have to do to create a new account is go to mybookie.ag and use the promo code UGA and they will double that first deposit. They have every kind of bet you could want. Of course, they have bets against the spread. You got win totals, team totals, prop bets, anything and everything that you want to bet on from a sports perspective, my bookie has it. I've been using them for years. They are the best in the business. They've always treated me right, and they will absolutely treat you right as well. So again, all you have to do is use the promo code UGA when you sign up at mybookie.ag, and you'll get 100% bonus on that initial deposit. You can bet anything, anywhere, anytime with MyBookie. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, guys, let's keep this thing rolling and let's move on to four stats that matter. And the first one here is a little bit different for me here. I'm going to start with two numbers. These aren't really stats. I guess they're stats, but we're going to roll with it. Four and eight. Four and eight. What I mean by that is Auburn's quarterbacks through the first five games of the season have thrown for a combined four touchdowns and eight interceptions. TJ Finley had one touchdown to four picks. Coy Moore, who's not really a quarterback, is a, he's a receiver through wide receiver pass. Zero touchdowns, one interception. And Robbie Ashford himself has three touchdowns and three picks. The reason I bring this up is just to illustrate for you in a different way how bad the Auburn passing game has been. But it does not stop there. We'll call this some bonus stats with this first number. Not only have they only thrown four touchdowns to eight interceptions, they've literally doubled up the number of interceptions to their, compared to their touchdowns. But they are also dead last in quarterback rating in the SEC, and they are 13th in the league in completion percentage. They don't throw the ball well. Yes, I know that Robbie Ashford threw for over 300 yards. If you look at the box score, you're like, wow, man, like maybe they're actually kind of figuring things out. And I would respond with, but are they? 
because to get to those 337 pass yards against LSU, he threw the ball 38 times, only completed 19 of those passes. I'm not good at math. You guys know this, but that's a 50% completion percentage. That's not good enough, guys. His QBR, his total QBR in that game against LSU, 32. 32 out of 100. And again, if you actually watch the game, I know a lot of you are watching our game. I went back and watched it that night, watched it again uh, the other day. They were relying on big plays where he escaped the pocket. When it came to him trying to drop back and throw the football, he cannot do it. That offense does not function with the passing game if he has to stay in the pocket. But anyway, you cut it, it has been tough going for the Auburn passing game through the first five weeks of the season. But as bad as the passing game has been, let's go to our second stat that matters. They've only combined to rush for 183 yards over the last two games. 183 yards combined over the last two games for a team that wants to run the football. That's what they want their identity to be. As you heard Brandon Council, their center, tell us earlier today, they think they can run the football on us. They think they can demolish us running the football, run right at us, quiet the crowd. That's who they want to be. That's what they want their identity to be. Problem is they haven't been able to do that. Now, over those last two games where they've rushed for 183 yards combined, 65 of those yards have come from Robbie Ashford from the quarterback position, which means that more than one-third of their rushing yards over the last two games have come from the quarterback. It goes further than that, guys. Seven of 10 rushes of more than 10 yards over the last two games have come from Robbie Ashford. That means only three have come from true running backs, two from Tank Bigsby, one from... Bigsby's backup, Jarquez Hunter. Again, seven of Auburn's 10 rushes of 10 or more yards over the last two weeks have come from their quarterback. So do you see why I said earlier that I think he's the biggest threat in the run game for Auburn right now? He is the home runner. He's the guy that's generating explosive plays on the ground with his legs. It's not Tank Bigsby. It's not Jarquez Hunter, at least not consistently here and there. But 70%, guys, 70% of their... If you want to call it a 10-plus yard run explosive run play, I guess we'll call it that. But 70% of those runs are coming from Robbie Ashford at the quarterback position. So while, yes, he is a liability if you force him to stay in the pocket, he can absolutely kill you if you let him escape and utilize his legs. He is a far more dangerous and far more dynamic runner than Bo Nix ever was. And Bo Nix was very, very dangerous with his legs, and he had this great escapability. But nothing compared to what... Robbie Asher brings the table from just a dynamic running standpoint, explosiveness standpoint, because that dude, I mean, I'm dead serious, guys. In terms of just raw athleticism at the quarterback position, he's about as good as I've seen this year. He just doesn't throw the ball well. He's not ready to beat you from the pocket right now. So when you put all this together and look at the fact that they are really struggling to throw the football, four touchdowns to eight interceptions, dead last in the league in quarterback rating, 13th in completion percentage, and the fact that they're really having a hard time running the football, especially from the running back position, as you might imagine, their offense just simply is not functioning right now. They are 107th nationally in scoring offense, only averaging 22.4 points per game, and are 115th nationally in points per play. In fact, if you take it a step further, they're only averaging 15 points per game against Power 5 competition. And they haven't played like necessarily a murderer's row of teams, guys. Yeah, Penn State's pretty good. They had them at home, though. They played Penn State. Good defense, solid team. Uh, Missouri, good, solid, decent team. Probably a 6-6-ish six and six-ish type team. Maybe 7-5 and five, they look up and, and upset somebody along the way. And then they played LSU last week, again, at home. All three of those games, by the way, guys, were in Jordan-Hare. And they are still only averaging 
15 points per game against Power 5 competition. So from every single angle, this Auburn offense is flat out terrible. And that brings us to our final stat that matters. Now, here's a little bit of a silver lining for Auburn, I guess. They have been really successful getting out to fast starts over the past couple of weeks against Missouri and last week against LSU. In fact, they've outscored the last two opponents, Missouri and and LSU, 21 to nothing in the first quarter. They got off to really great starts in both those games. In fact, they're up 17 nothing on LSU. But the problem for Auburn is that they have not been able to sustain those fast starts. So yes, outgaining Missouri and LSU, outscoring Missouri and LSU 21-0 in the first quarter, but they have only scored a combined 10 points in quarters two through four in those same games. And heck, with Missouri, you can throw in overtime as well. In fact, they only scored those last three points against Missouri to win that game in overtime. And of course, it begs the question, why is that the case? I don't really know. It's tough to know and really put your finger on exactly what's going on. But if I was to speculate, what I would say is that they had done a really good job of scripting their first series or two with a new quarterback, with a very young quarterback who is not ready to really operate an offense, not fully be in control of that offense. And after they have scripted the first drive or two, they then have to rely on their quarterback to just get into the flow of the game and understand what he's seeing and adjust to what he's seeing and make plays out there. And Robbie Asher is simply just not ready to do that right now. So when they can script a series to his strengths and play to those strengths, then yeah, they can they can score some points. But you can't script every single series in a game. And when they get away from those scripts and have to rely on your quarterback to manage that position and manage the offense, they just can't function effectively. That's my read on it. They just don't have answers when the defense adjusts to what they're doing when they come out with their scripts to open the game. They can't They can't answer that right now because Robbie Ashford is not ready to adjust on the fly and really even understand what defenses are trying to do to him. With time, he might get there. He might well get there. But right now, based off what I've seen to this point, he is certainly not there. So there were your four stats that matter, which is now going to lead us into three matchups to watch. And let's stick with Robbie Asher. I know we've talked about him a lot, but again, he he is the most dangerous player on their team. I think Tank Bigsby is the best player on their offense, but Ashford right now, with how teams are able to defend their run game, he's the guy that's most dangerous. And so the first matchup to watch here is Robbie Ashford especially with his legs from the quarterback position versus our inside linebackers. Now, I think this might take on even more importance when you factor in, I don't know if it's a likelihood, but the possibility that Smile Mondin might not be ready to play in this game. He went out against Missouri, missed a couple series, came back late. Kirby said after the game that he he thought he'd probably be okay, came back in and played, but then in his Monday press conference said, well, you know, I'm not so sure, man. Smile was running on adrenaline there. It looks like it's it's an ankle issue. God, we have a lot of ankles right now, which... It's very frustrating. So I'm not sure he's going to play. And if he doesn't play, he's probably not going to be 100%. And one of the strengths, probably the greatest strength that Smile brings to the table right now is the speed and athleticism that he adds to that inside linebacker position. And you need that against a guy like Robbie Ashford. Pop is awesome. He's instinctive. He typically knows where to be. He's typically in the right spot. And he's actually moved better than I than I thought he would based off what I saw last year. I really like what I've seen from Pop. I think he gets better each and every game. But he's not the athlete that Smile Mondin is. He's simply not. 
And so if, if Smile's not playing, well, who's going to play alongside Pop? Is going to be Tresman Marshall? Tresman's a good player. He's played well for us this year, but he hardly practiced at all last week. He had to come in for Smile when Smile got hurt. But even Tresman, I was watching him out there. I was like, man, like we need to get him out of the game. He's not moving that well. The problem was like we don't. Like, you can go with Ryan Davis. You can go with Jalen Walker, but clearly we don't trust those guys like we trust the top three right now. And Smile, within that top three, is the best athlete of the bunch. And when you're playing a dynamic dual-threat quarterback like Robbie Ashford, you'd really like to have your most athletic inside linebacker out there on the field. So that's going to be something to watch. I hope Smile can play. I hope he's fine. I just have my doubts. I watch every single Kirby Smart interview, and you kind of have to read between the lines when he talks about injuries because he doesn't really always directly tell you. And reading between the lines on this one, I think there's a pretty strong likelihood that Smile's not going to play in this game. And Tresman's really good. Pop is fantastic. And I think Ryan Davis is a good player as well. I think he's a pretty good athlete. But none of them bring that level of, of athleticism to the table that Smile Mondin does. So that gives me some level of concern there. And it certainly bears watching this game. As I've told you guys, the key to, one of the keys to this game, we'll get to my one key to the game later on, but certainly one of the keys to the game is containing Robbie Ashford in the pocket. We've got to use a controlled pass rush to keep him inside the pocket. Do not create those natural rushing lanes that will allow him to escape. And we have to have someone more often than not that's mirroring him, which most people call that spying in our defense. We usually call it a mirror. And what we do with that mirror is as soon as he breaks the pocket, you trigger as, a, as an extra pass rusher. You insert yourself as an extra pass rusher. And Smile Mondin would have been the obvious choice to do that. If he doesn't play, we'll see who we use in that role and, and how that works out. That certainly is a matchup to watch in this game. And the second matchup to watch, now it's still a matchup to watch, but maybe it lost a little bit of its luster when Eku Leota tore his peck in that game against LSU. He's out for the rest of the season, but you still have two good pass rushers. You still have Derek Hall, who was their best pass rusher, is their best pass rusher, and Colby Wooden, who plays defensive end. He also slides inside on passing downs. And the top three pass rushers, if you throw in Leota, have combined for eight sacks through five games. You take him out, Derek Hall wouldn't have combined for six sacks through five games. Well, guys, we have six as a team right now. So this is a good pass rushing unit, especially Derek Hall. And you have to imagine that Auburn saw what Missouri did to us defensively last week and how they were hyper, uber aggressive, pressuring the quarterback, bringing guys and just turning guys loose to rush the passer and just create all sorts of havoc in the backfield. You have to imagine they saw that and are going to try to replicate that to some degree, and we are going to have to be ready for that. And the guys that are going to turn loose, if they turn them loose, are going to be Derek Hall and Colby Wooden. And that brings us to the final matchup to watch. Let's go back to old Brandon Council. Mr. Council, he's the one that inspired me to go with this as our third matchup to watch. I had something else in, in store for you guys that I was going to talk about here, but when he called out our defensive line, our front seven, the way that he did, I had to throw this in there. I had to call an audible and throw this one in here. Now, I, I will say this. Our defensive line without Jalen Carter, it, it's not the same defensive line. We do take a hit without Jalen Carter. He is our one truly elite difference maker up front. But let's also not act like guys like Nas Stackhouse and Zion Logue and Barry Alexander now is getting a lot more reps. Let's not act like those guys are just garbage because that could not be further from the truth. Now, are they first-round draft picks? Barry Alexander may be in a couple years, but Zion Logue, Nas Stackhouse, they're not going to be first-round guys. They aren't as explosive and dynamic as guys like Devontae Wyatt and Jordan Davis were last year, and, and obviously, of course, Jalen Carter as well. They're not those guys, but just because you're not those guys doesn't mean you're not really good. You still got a scholarship to the University of Georgia, one of the nation's premier programs who just won national championship last year. And oh, by the way, we are still second in the SEC a yard and a half behind Alabama. 
And that's without Jalen Carter having played essentially since the Samford game. He hurt his his ankle like the first series against against Oregon, played the rest of that game on adrenaline, played a little bit against Samford, and really hasn't played much at all since that point. We are still giving up less than 90 yards rushing a game. So let's not act like we are completely debilitated without Jalen Carter and that those guys can't play. We're certainly not as good without Jalen Carter. I mean, that's clear. But it's not as though we're going to fall off the face of the earth defensively and can't stop the run at all and are just going to get gashed left and right without Jalen Carter in the game, especially against this Auburn offensive line that is currently 121st nationally in stuff rate. And if you guys are not familiar with stuff rate, that's an advanced statistical measure of the percentage of rush plays that are stopped at or behind the line of scrimmage for an offense. That is an offensive line stat, and they are 121st nationally in stuff rate. So they're talking the talk. They are certainly doing that. Mr. Council is talking that talk, but certainly remains to be seen if they can actually walk that walk. We'll see. That's certainly a matchup to watch, certainly after the comments that Mr. Council put out there publicly earlier today. And we still have our game plans and key to the game to get to, but before we wrap this thing up, I do want to remind you guys about our other good friends at Alumni Hall and guys, I'm very excited to let you guys know this. You might have already seen this on social media. We tweeted it out. We put it out on Instagram. But they are doing, Alumni Hall is doing a meet and greet. They've put this together with a bunch of different Georgia football players. This is going down Sunday, October 16th from 2 to 4 p.m. So if you are coming in town for the game, you're staying the night on Saturday, stay until Sunday and go to Alumni Hall. Pick yourself out some of the best Georgia gear you can find anywhere, some stuff that you legitimately cannot find anywhere else, especially that vintage collection. And meet some of your favorite players, guys like Dan Jackson, Smile Mondin, Robert Beal, Tyke Smith. They're all going to be there, a host of other players, and they are still trying to lock in one final big surprise guest. That's the plan right now. We don't know if it's going to happen, but they are trying to get, I was told by the folks at Alumni Hall that it was a big name and big being in all caps so it's gonna be fun guys bring your kids they'll love it pick up some gear and have yourselves one heck of a sunday following a georgia victory over vanderbilt again that's alumni hall inside the epps bridge shopping center here in athens and that meet and greet with georgia football players is going down sunday october 16th from 2 to 4 p.m you're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. 
Okay guys, let's move right along into our two game plans for this matchup against the Auburn Tigers. Let's start with the offense here. Obviously, what we saw against Missouri last weekend was not a vintage Georgia offensive performance. That's not what we've come to expect, at least in the early part of this season. And you know Todd Munkin and company are looking to put that performance behind them and get back on track against Auburn this weekend. And when you look at this Auburn defense, they're not really great at anything, at least statistically. But the eye test still tells me this is a pretty good defense. And it also tells me that this Auburn D is much better in the front seven than they are in the back end. That's at least where their best players are. Derek Hall, Colby Wooden, Owen Papo, those guys. They are in this Auburn front seven. And again, statistically, the numbers are pretty even. They're middle of the pack in both pass defense and rush defense in the SEC. But if you look at the context surrounding those numbers, among their Power 5 opponents, they really haven't played anyone that can challenge them through the year. They've played Penn State, Missouri, and LSU from Power 5 conferences. And those three teams have combined to average the 76th passing offense in the country. All of those teams, Penn State, Missouri, LSU, they want to run the football first and foremost and work play action off of that, work the RPO game off of that. So while statistically they might actually be middle of the pack in the SEC, I think the reality is that they're a little bit worse than that against the pass. They just have been fortunate to this point to not really face someone that can exploit those deficiencies in their back end. In particular, I, I believe Nehemiah Pritchett at cornerback, Jalen Simpson at cornerback as well, DJ James at times in the slot, they can all be had out there on the perimeter. They commit a lot of pass interferences. Actually, a lot of them that aren't even called, but they are pass interferences. There's a lot of busts back there in the secondary. They don't really play the ball particularly well in the air. So they have some issues in the back end. They don't really have anyone that's an elite cover guy. And I think this is a secondary that can be exploited. But despite some of those issues for the Auburn secondary, and also despite the issues we saw for our offensive line and our run game in general last week for most of that game against Missouri until the fourth quarter where we were kind of busting out there, I still wouldn't just come out slinging it all over the place. And I wouldn't do that for a couple of reasons. Number one, the second best player in their defense, Ikuliota, as I mentioned, is not playing in this game, he would not be playing the rest of the season. Derek Hall is their best defensive player. I think Leota was their second best player. He was their other edge rusher opposite Derek Hall, and, and they played with two edge rushers, and those two in particular, almost every down. And now with Leota out, according to Brian Harson, now we'll see how much Stock actually put in this, but according to Brian Harson himself, in his Monday press conference, they're going to be moving to a 4-2-5 defense for the first time as their base defense. And 4-2-5, a.k.a. nickel, you don't have as many big bodies out there on the field. You have smaller defenders that are out there to defend more in space against your, your skill players. And again, according to Brian Harson, they plan to use that in this game as their base defense, which is not usual for them to this point in the season. So no Leota. They're going to be using extra DB on the field in place of him as an edge rusher. That right there should be enough to open up some opportunities for us potentially to get going on the ground early in this game. But it's more than just that. Derek Hall, yes, he's still out there. He's still very good. Colby Wooden is a really good player as well. On the He, he plays even and will move inside at times, depending on the situation, down distance, those kind of things. But they have very little depth. Those are good players. Derek Hall, Colby Wooden that front, good players. But there's almost no depth right now, no quality depth whatsoever. 
And you know, that's something else I found very ironic about what Brandon Council was saying about our defensive line and how we are lacking depth right now. We don't have the quality players that we had up front. They're just going to be able to go in there and demolish us and wear us out and grind out a bunch of yards. Well, you could say the same thing about the Auburn defensive front to a much greater degree, in my opinion. They have no depth up front whatsoever. They never had anyone the caliber of Jalen Carter to even begin with. So with all that in mind, I do think that we need to run the football in this game and commit to running the football in this game. Don't do what we did against Missouri where, you know, we we face some adversity early, we fumble the football when when we break one on an inside zone and we get behind, face that early adversity and we kind of just abandon the run, only run the ball nine times in the first half. I don't think that's a recipe for a ton of success in this game. I do think we need to run the football early and often and commit to it. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to run the ball every single down. Obviously, we are a more pass-heavy offense this year, and we need to remain so, but we also need to stay committed to the run as well for a couple of reasons. Number one, we need to slow down that pass rush. We need to slow down Derek Hall and Kobe Wooden coming off the edges there. Like I said earlier, you know that they saw what Missouri was able to do with a lot of success early in that game against us last week. They're going to try to replicate that to some degree, especially with Derek Hall. They're going to turn that guy loose and let him rush the passer and run the football. And having success doing so is going to slow down that pass rush. That's going to give him something else to think about. If you start running underneath him when he gives you those rushing lanes, he's going to slow down that pass rush. That's something that we need to do to be effective in our own passing game. And then as I was just saying, of course, if they're having depth issues up front, running the football and being committed to running the football and doing it consistently, even if they stop you for a one-yard gain or they stop you for no gain here and there, you've got to stay committed to it because eventually with their depth issues up front, they're going to wear down and you can have similar success on the ground in the second half like we did last week against Missouri. But it can't be all run. We also need to work in, I believe, heavy amount of screen game to slow down that pass rush and just get get the ball to our playmakers in space. You know, that's one of the things looking back at the game from last week, rewatching it a couple of times over the past couple of days, I don't understand why we were so resistant to use the screen game in the first half. That's been so successful for us all year long. And then to see Missouri come out and defend us as aggressively as they did and bring as many numbers as they did as consistently as they did. I don't really have a firm answer as to why we didn't, number one, have more screenplays in the game plan to start with. And then number two, once we saw how they were defending us so aggressively, why we did not make the adjustment earlier than we did and go to those screenplays earlier. I think we absolutely need to do that in this game against Auburn. Whether it screens to Kenny McIntosh out of the backfield, Brock Bowers, Lad McConkey, A.D. Mitchell, Arian Smith, whoever you want it to be, we need to get different guys involved in the screen game to slow down this pass rush and get those playmakers the ball, give them a chance to go make some plays for us. But saying all that, we definitely still need to take our shots as well because they just aren't good in the secondary. They're not good in that back end, especially if A.D. Mitchell is back and close to 100%. We need to take some shots. Nehemiah Pritchett is the cornerback that I would target as, as my number one guy out there. He's a guy that I would go after first and foremost. And I think the ground game and the screen game will help set that up. One thing I've noticed about these guys on tape is they really have poor eye discipline. They'll get their eyes caught in the backfield far too often. That creates big play opportunities for the offense. And I think if we can get the ground game going, if we can get the screen game going, you get their eyes in the wrong places, then boom, hit them over the top for those big explosive plays that we have been wanting to see more of over the past couple weeks. We haven't really seen it that much in terms of our vertical passing game this year. I think this could be a game where we make that happen if we can set set it up by using the ground game and the screen game as well. 
And then on the other side of the ball, defensively, you know Auburn wants to run the football. If you watch them play, that should not come as a surprise. You know that's what they want to do. And then, of course, your Brandon Counts will go out there and blab his mouth about how they're going to dominate our, our front seven. You know that's what they plan to do. They came out throwing it a little bit more last week against LSU because they were trying to loosen things up because the box was so stacked over the past couple weeks because no one respected their pass game whatsoever. And they did have a little bit of success early in the game hitting some of those explosive pass plays because Asher was able to escape the pocket. Once they kind of figured out, hey, we need to keep this guy contained, then they had no answer for that whatsoever. But they want to run the football. So as I tell you guys every single week, the number one priority from a big picture standpoint for a defensive coordinator when putting together a game plan is to make the opposing offense play left-handed. What does that mean for Auburn? That means forcing them to beat you with the drop-back pass game. I'm going to double down on it and say I think they have the worst receiving group in the SEC. I think they have one of the two to three worst passing quarterbacks in the league. You could potentially make an argument for the worst passing quarterback in the league, but certainly somewhere in the bottom two to three. So if you want to force them to have to beat you through the air, how do you do that? So number one, let's identify what we want to make them do. Number two, then we have to develop a plan to force them to beat us that way. So how do you do it? I think you still have to defend out of the nickel because of the athleticism at quarterback, which is our base defense anyway. That should go without saying. We always play, at the very least, out of the nickel defense almost every single game. So if you're going to have five and six DBs out there, from a coverage standpoint, what should you do? In my opinion, in a game like this, against a team like this, I believe we need to go with a lot of single high, middle of the field, closed looks. And you're going to have to switch it up. You can't run one look, one coverage all game long. You'll get yourself killed and burned if you do that. But mix it up. Run some man free where you have a single high safety over the top and you're playing man underneath. Run some cover three where you can get one of those safeties rotating down in the box with flat responsibilities. Also work on some quarter stuff. I know that's more of a middle of the field open look, but work on some quarter stuff because when you're running quarters like that, the safeties, it's also a really strong rush defense because the safeties trigger against the run. If the number two receiver does not run vertical, they have man responsibility for the number two receiver if he goes vertical. If he does not, then they can trigger against the run. Now, that does make you a little bit more vulnerable to getting hit over the top with double moves and play action shots because the safeties are going to have their eyes in the backfield seeing if it's going to be run or pass. But that's a way to take away some of what Auburn likes to do from a run game standpoint while also staying structurally sound in the back and making sure you don't give some of those big plays that they were able to hit early in the game against LSU last week. But going back to one of the main themes of this episode in previewing Auburn, we are going to have to slow down Robbie Ashford and contain him in the pocket. It's more than just saying stop the run. Like Obviously, stopping the run is going to be our number one priority, but more specifically than that, we have to stop and contain Robbie Ashford and his ability to hurt us with his legs. So how do you do that? I think it's going to be a lot like how we've defended Bo Nix in the past. I know that this is not Bo Nix, but... He has similar ability. In fact, like I said earlier, I think he is a more athletic quarterback than even Bo Nix was, but they both have similar skill sets. So how do you defend a quarterback like that? Well, what we have done traditionally with great success is use a slower pass rush that's designed to contain the quarterback in the pocket. You can call it a mush rush, whatever you want to call it, but it's all about squeezing the pocket, squeezing the quarterback. You don't want to rush too far upfield because you're going to create those natural escape routes, those rush lanes for the quarterback to escape through, and then he's out on the perimeter, and he can either run, he can pass, he breaks down your defense. You cannot let that happen. That cannot be something we allow to happen this week because that's the only way Auburn's going to be able to, to hit explosive plays on us. That's the only way they're going to be able to score points consistently is if 
Things break down. We allow him to skate the pocket, and he's able to make plays either with his leg or with his arm, putting defenders in conflict between run, pass. That's where he is dangerous, and that's how Auburn is able to create some explosive plays in that first half last week against LSU. And then to complement that slower mush rush, we're going to, I would imagine, we're going to do this, and I certainly would do it. You can't necessarily do it every single play, but more often than not, a vast majority of the time, we are going to have a dedicated spy or a mirror, as we call it in our defense, that is going to trigger as an extra rusher as soon as Ashford tries to escape the pocket. You guys, you've seen this many times. In fact, there was a, a play, a big play in the national championship game on a third down. Remember, it was Channing Tindall. Remember that? There was the, I think it was the play either right before or two plays before where he blew his cover responsibility and Kobe Dean just ripped into him. And then either the very next play or two plays later, the same drive, Channing makes up for it with a big third down sack to force a field goal attempt. And that was not a designed pressure. That was not a called blitz for Channing Tindall. Tindall was spying or mirroring Bryce Young. And as soon as Bryce Young broke the pocket, that is his signal to insert as an additional pass rusher. We do that quite often against teams that have quarterbacks like Robbie Ashford that can hurt you once they break contain and get outside the pocket. Again, ideally, that would be Smile Mondin because he's the most athletic of our inside linebackers, but I'm just not overly hopeful that he is going to play in this game. So if he does not end up playing this game, I don't know who that's going to be. It'll probably be Pop if I had to guess that he's the next most athletic among the guys that play that position on a regular basis. You know, it's not like last year, unfortunately. We're still really good on defense, but we don't have the quantity of crazy athletic playmakers that we had last year. You know, last year, we just had so many guys that could play that role on any given down that we were able to make it really difficult on offenses to even identify who was going to be doing that on a given play. They might know that we were going to do it with somebody, but they wouldn't know necessarily with who or where he was coming from. You know, we could do it with, obviously, N'Kobe Dean or Chain Tindall or Quay Walk or even Trayvon Walker. This year, we just don't have as many of those guys. Michael Williams is a really athletic guy. He's still not Trayvon Walker-level athleticism. I would definitely not feel great about him in that role against Robbie Ashford. I think that's a mismatch for, for Auburn in that scenario. I think it's going to be one of our inside linebackers, and without smile, it's probably going to be Pop. At least on standard downs, first and second down. Third downs, Pop usually is not even in the game. It's Xavier Sori or Smile who's usually in the game. So on third downs, it might be a guy like Xavier Sori. But that is something I will certainly have my eye on very closely on Saturday. And then finally, that takes us to our one key to the game. Now, obviously, guys, yes, as I say most weeks on this episode, there's always more than just one key to the game. There's not just one single thing that's going to win you a football game or lose you a football game. But we're going to try. We're going to try to crystallize this down to one big key. If we do this thing, then we win this football game. And to me, in this game, it's very simple. Win the turnover battle. The last two games that we have played against Kent State and Missouri were much closer than any of us expected them to be and much closer, obviously, than any of us wanted them to be. Well, why is that? Well, the answer to that question is multifaceted, sure, but maybe the biggest part of it is the turnovers. We have lost a turnover battle one to five in these last two games, guys. That is the biggest reason why those two games were closer than they should have been. Lads muff punt against Kent State, set up their first score. 
The fumbled handoff against Missouri set up another score. Lads fumble against Kent State, took away a probable another score in that game. So we simply cannot turn the football over and expect to win this game comfortably. We are significantly better and significantly more talented than this Auburn football team. There is zero question about that. The only way they have a chance to even stay in this game is if we let them have a chance to stay in this game. And the easiest way to keep them in this game is to hand them short fields and or derail our own scoring opportunities with a turnover. Basically, what I'm saying here, guys, is stop screwing around. If we stop screwing around, we're going to win this football game and we will win this football game very comfortably. I do not know if we'll cover the 30-point spread. That's a pretty aggressive spread. But we are significantly better than Auburn. And if we go out and execute and do not do stupid things to allow them to stay in this game, then we will win this game and win this game comfortably. But all right, guys, that's all I've got for you today here on the Glory UGA podcast. We are not done for the week, though. Charlie will be back with me on Thursday for our picks of the week. We bounced back in a big way last week. We made ourselves some money and hopefully made you guys some money as well if you're using these picks with my bookie. Again, it's mybookie.ag, promo code UGA for a 100% deposit bonus on that initial deposit. So we'll be back again on Thursday, trying to give you guys a bunch more winners to help put some money in your pocket. So make sure to check back then. But thank you guys for being here. Again, love you guys. Appreciate you. Cannot thank you enough for all you do to support our podcast. But I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs. <laughs>